0: Do we got this?
1: Or do we? We are your hosts. I'm Uni Mojica. I'm Ali Magistrali. And we are here this week recording in QED studios, as usual, here in Astoria, Queens. And we are going to really dive right into this subject today. It's um, a really heavy one, and we're really passionate about bringing this to the table and creating this discussion on this podcast um, Absolutely. Yeah. So
0: we are going to be talking about women speaking out on sexual assault. This is a topic that is very taboo. And the reason why Uni and I, one of the biggest reasons why Uni and I created this podcast is to talk bring topics that are taboo to the table and show a real life discussion, uh, especially of two women having this real life discussion um, about these topics to, to show that it's okay if you're uncomfortable, you don't have to be in, you don't have to be comfortable all the time and it's more important to talk about these things. Yes. So if you've been living in a hole, the testimonies of Brett Kavanaugh and Dr. Ford have been going on, went on last week, and now there's a one week FBI investigation before the Senate makes a vote on Brett Kavanaugh being, being so
1: voted as a, a Supreme Court as justice. a Supreme Court justice,
0: which is a lifetime appointment and the one of the most important um, appointments that you in can that you can have in the country. So it's a big deal. And so what's happening is Dr. Ford has come out saying that she was sexually assaulted by Brett Kavanaugh in high school. And so there's been this big push of women saying, yes, we need to talk about these things. And yes, I've been assaulted. And no, this is not OK. And they're actually speaking out. Mm -hmm. And what's really important is giving victims a voice and believing them and supporting them. And so something else really interesting happened uh, after the testimonies were happening to Senator Flakes. He was stopped in an elevator by two women, Maria Gallagher and Ana Maria Archila. Yes. And we want to play for you exactly what happened. They stopped Senator Flakes from leaving. Le- leaving the building. Leaving the building. And they said something they to him. Just
1: him face-to-face. So here – Have a listen. Let's listen to Jeff Flake. Yes, I understand
2: that you said just last night you felt that the 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 witness was, in fact, credible. On Monday, I stood in front of your office with Addie Barkin. I told the story of my sexual assault. I told it because I recognized in Dr. Ford's story that she's telling the truth. What you are doing is allowing someone who actually violated a woman to sit in the Supreme Court. This is not tolerable. You have children in your family. Think about them. I have two children. I cannot imagine that for the next 50 years, they will have to have someone in the Supreme Court who has been accused of
3: violating
2: a young girl. What are you doing, sir? I was actually assaulted and nobody believed
3: me. I didn't tell anyone, and you're telling all women that they don't matter, that they should just stay quiet because if they tell you what happened to them, you're going to ignore them. That's what happened to me, and that's what you're telling all women in America, that they don't matter. They should just keep it to themselves because if they have told the truth, you're just going to help that man to power anyway. That's what you're telling all of these women. That's what you're telling me right now. Look at me when I'm talking to you. You're telling me that my assault doesn't matter. That what happened to me doesn't matter and that you're gonna let people who do these things into power. That's what you're telling me when you vote for him. Don't look away from me. Look at me and tell me that it doesn't matter what happened to me. That you'll let people like that go into the highest court of the land and tell everyone what they can do to their bodies.
2: Senator Flake, do you Thank think you. that Fred, Brett Kavanaugh is telling the truth? Thank you. Do you think that he's able to hold the pain of this country and repair it? That is the work of justice. The way that justice works is you recognize harm, you take responsibility for it, and then you begin to repair it. You're allowing someone who is unwilling to take responsibility for his own actions, and willing to hold the harm that he has done to one woman, actually, three women and end and repair it. You are allowing someone who is unwilling to take responsibility for his own actions respond in the higher court of the country and to and to have the role of repairing the harm that has been done in this country to many people. No, no, thank you. What do you think? Do you Senator, you do you care to respond? You want to talk to staff No, I want to talk to him. Don't talk to me. What I do you think? To to I understand, but right. tell me I'm standing right here in front of you. What do you have? To, do you think that he's telling the truth? Thank you, do, no. Do you think that
3: he's telling the truth to the country? You. you have power Thank when so you. many women are powerless. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Can you not give
3: them an answer? We have, our, we have, have our press available to talk you to you guys if you
2: want. Got an, answer, so an answer. there?
3: an Okay. Thank you. Thank you. got had to respond. No, you, you. you either answer. come in or out. Thank you.
2: Saying thank you is not an answer. Okay. This gotta is gotta about go. the future of our country, sir. You're so you coming today. to a lifetime appointment in the Supreme Court. That's fine. Find security. You can be a
3: hero. Why not waste? Why
2: not wait? Why not wait for the investigation? There is no harm. How can you be fearless? What the government man doesn't thinking. Do you stand with women? Not. Do you stand with I don't the nation? deserve deserves due process. Would you be open you again? Senator, do you want to respond to, to their to their complaints? Senator, you care to respond to their complaints? No, I I need to go to the hearing. I just issued a statement. I'll be saying more as well. So, no, there have been a lot of questions here, and uh, I don't want to ask it. There's only one question. Do you think the American Bar Association says that they should wait for an FBI investigation? Do 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 you not believe that? To
3: heard by the highest people in power, that they're.
1: Poppy, I don't think. I, uh, I don't think we've witnessed a moment like that no. in you, recent we, memory. A, sen- a U.S. senator confronted by, by two, I believe, two, I believe, uh, women who say that they have been raped themselves. One of them saying to him, and I'm quoting here through tears, don't look away from me. Look at me and tell me that it doesn't matter what happens to me.
0: So these two survivors spoke out, were really brave. I can't imagine how scared they must have felt. Yeah, you but can hear it in their voice. You can hear it in their voices, but how passionate they were and how serious they felt this matter was. They
1: brought such a seriousness and attention. You could tell, you can see it in the senator's face, whether he felt that he agreed with them or if he, that he heard them. Either way, that, their energy and that force that they brought to that conversation was like, thank God. I felt like, thank God. Thank God they're, re- they're being real because in that room of testimony, there was a lot of denial going on and people ignoring things and not really taking things seriously. But the fact that they were so face-to-face with him and brought everything to the table, they said like, you have daughters, I have daughters, like, you're telling us that this doesn't matter. And that, what happened that to their me lives do not matter, matter. That what happened to me doesn't matter. What happened to her doesn't matter. And it's like about understanding the seriousness of this position. It's changes people's lives. And to have a man in that
0: seat where he is making life-changing decisions for the country, for human beings... Mm-hmm. And having a woman that is saying this man sexually assaulted me, and having to see him make those decisions, I can't. I can't even imagine what that feels like. So these two women came forward. They said we survived this assault, and we're going to tell you about it, and you have to look at us yeah, when we tell said, you. About no, it. look
1: at me. Look at me. Look at me in the eye. Like, that was. That was heavy. That was deep, and it shook me. And I was in in a lot of different ways. Yeah. In a lot of levels, both good and bad, just the fact that they were there on the front line. And they stopped him
0: and, and they had the courage to say those things to him. So we have a very special guest with us today. We have Paola Piers Torres. Yay. She is – we are so, so, so excited to have her here. She has so much wisdom. She is an award-winning Cuban filmmaker, educator, activist. She was born and raised in Chicago and she received a master's from the media studies program at the New School where she created and directed the Chicago Mixtape. If you haven't heard about this, go check it out. I believe there is a preview on – YouTube. The Chicago mixtape mix is a short document documentary that tells the story of marginalized Chicago youth who are utilizing transformational programs to find their voices through the arts and express and empower themselves. She has also worked on PBS series, America by the Numbers, and she is currently a freelance producer residing in Brooklyn, where she tends to her garden and overall coziness of her house, which I can attest to, it is the
4: best. (laughs) And we're really happy to have you here, Paola. Yes. Welcome. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you so much for being here. Very excited to be here.
1: We are bringing people to Queens, and it's really cool from Brooklyn. Super mm-hmm. far, super far. Our <laughs> last, our last guest was also a Brooklynite, and also in film as well. Crazy. So you be like, <laughs> we, we like you guys. What's
0: the trend?
1: <laughs> so thank
0: you for being, yes. thank you for being with us and for having discussion previously with us about these testimonies. So what is your? There's so much to say, but what is your general feeling about everything that's going on?
4: Um, I think first of all, thanks for having me. It's really nice to feel like there is a place where my voice can be heard um, and where I can speak out. I think that. I, along with a lot of the country, a lot of my female friends were pretty much glued to the television, Uh, didn't get much work done last week, um, as well as consuming every article out there to the point that it almost became obsessive because we were so um, outraged as well as, you know, on our edge, on the edge, just just to try to figure out. Uh, what was going down? I mean, this is very unprecedented. We've never seen something like this to this extent. Obviously, there was um, the Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas hearing in the 1991, yeah. um, which is so similar it is. and it's so crazy. Yeah, that we're I back. I was here.
1: watching those, and I was just yeah the things that they were saying, ask the questions they were asking her. All white men. And the audacity. It All was white just men. like
4: so. Hurtful. Yeah. yeah. And and to and to feel like not much has changed. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I can't say anyone is too shocked. The person who mm-hmm. appointed him um, himself was an accused raper. I believe that he is a raper because I choose to believe victims. And so to watch this all unfold and to see the poison that is the Trump administration leak into – a court that I respect so highly. I mean I'm a daughter of a civil rights lawyer. This is to me something very personal. My dad has had cases in front of the Supreme Court. My dad is working on a case to go to the Supreme Court. So mm. to think that these courts are corrupt um, leaves a little hope and that is a very dangerous place to be in. So – um it felt like it was my civic duty to watch Dr. Ford's testimony and to read everything that I could and to support and to spread any knowledge that I gathered. Um, I felt the same way about mm-hmm. civic duty to do
0: this podcast yeah. topic.
4: Absolutely. Yeah. And I was on – I have to give a shout out to my group text. I was on – I yeah. am on a group text of yes. 10 women. hoo Yes. Which is intense at times. Um, <laughs> and one of them is a lawyer. And so she kind of became, um, you know, our Wikipedia. Any question we had, she explained it. And one of the things that I really took away from last week, and I want listeners to know this, that that wasn't a criminal proceeding. That was. Right. A right. Job. People are confused about this. Yeah. yeah. It is a testimony. It is a job interview. Mm-hmm. And these women are his um, recommendations. Mm-hmm. And. Under normal circumstances, under different situations, I don't think it would matter maybe this much that these recommendations were this um, foul. But uh, as you said, this is the highest court and this is a lifelong appointment. Whether I believe that it should be lifelong or not is not what we're discussing tonight. And, um, you know, if there is any doubt, he cannot sit on that court. If there is any doubt, he has Mm -hmm. lied under oath. If there is any doubt um i believe that there is a direct conflict of interest if he does not believe that rape survivors are allowed abortions then um he cannot sit on that court as an unbiased individual so that's kind of my general takeaways of last yeah, week right absolutely
0: and i thought it was interesting with the clarence thomas testimonies he you know it was a it was a um Senators, all white male senators, and it was two black people. Mm-hmm. One was a woman. And he, what Senator Thomas did was he made it a racial issue. Yeah. Which I think was a disservice to Anita Hill because it was about gender and it was about being sexually assaulted. But he was able to do that because of the, um, what is it called? Senate Judiciary
4: Committee.
0: Committee, yes. Thank you. Um, and so this time it was interesting. The Republicans brought in a female prosecutor. Mm-hmm. That they, I cannot tell you the number of times that it was female prosecutor. It wasn't just we're bringing in a prosecutor yeah. that specializes in sexual assault. So they're they're. Cl- they're uh, kind of clued in in a way that it is – it's a gender thing. What did you think about that, that they brought in this outside council.
4: I think that both sides of the aisle because I'm not here to you know, claim that the Democrats handled this in the best way. But I think that we are becoming smarter as a culture on what sells and what the media picks up and I think it was a PR move. I think that it was very strategic. I mean, they kept cutting her off. At some point, it was like I couldn't believe that. That At the
0: first, the first time she got cut off, it was very
4: weird. Yeah, I mean, the whole uh, thing was very strange. And the more, the longer the day went on, the stranger it became. And the more sure I hope a lot of this country felt that there's no way that this man could sit on the Supreme Court just based on his actions and how he came out. Exactly.
1: Right.
0: Exactly. Based on his demeanor. That was not the demeanor. I was just
1: getting flashbacks of the election too. Oh God. Yeah, exactly. Like, this like, is just a mirror exactly. of, what, of how of how it, and why this Who happened. Who
0: appointed him? Look at how he acted. And Trump called for him to behave that way. I mean it was really you know, the one that stands out to me especially is when the uh female senator spoke about her dad and alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Who do you remember who that was? I don't remember. Um but we'll put a clip to this, to what happened during the testimonies in the in the notes. But he Kavanaugh came right back she asked about if he had ever been blackout drunk and He came back and asked if she had, have Have you, you? after she, after she had confided and she didn't have to say my father has, has battled with alcoholism his whole life. She didn't have to do that. And he just stomped all over her. I mean, yeah, he apologized, but whatever. The damage was done. It was clearly how he felt. His
1: behavior is just enough for me to be like, there's no way I want you to be a Supreme Court justice that's childish you're a child
4: it it just it felt like there was <laughs> <laughs> like, i'm sorry <laughs> well white men <clears throat> it just it felt like there is no respect for anybody at this point it doesn't matter how long you've been a senator it doesn't matter if you're a Supreme Court justice it just doesn't matter I mean Trump has set a new precedent and that precedent is act however you want if you're a rich white boy from one of these rich prep schools you're untouchable Mm -hmm. and that is what we're seeing play out
1: exactly exactly absolutely he's acting comes from the highest
4: acted during the whole row race during the whole race and I think that we do need to remember the pussy grabbing video And Or audio tape. And to remember that that came out three weeks before the election. And clearly, Hillary's camp felt that that was close enough to the election. But the reality is we are in a news cycle that is a 24-hour overturning. Memes get picked up. YouTube videos get picked up. And it dominates the news. Mm -hmm. And they had enough time to cover it up. And I do –
1: That and I also feel like a majority of the country that are – Republicans and, and such forth, they are so gun ho on wanting like laws like abortion – against abortion to come out that they don't care.
4: They're single-issue voters. They're
1: single-issue – and they don't care about anybody else. A lot of our country, I really – the way I've been feeling, that everyone is so selfish yep. and does not think about the well-being of our country and – People, all people, people. all people, just the lack of caring and, and, and being human is just, it's disgusting. There was a lack of empathy less That's where we are. Totally.
0: So lack of empathy, supporting survivors and speaking out. Paola, I know that you have a story that you wanted to share and we wanted to give you the space to do that. So Mm -hmm. what, what was your story? What
4: happened? So. In full disclosure, I am a sexual assault survivor, and this is um, something that I only started really talking about um, two years ago. Uh, I'm 28 now, and unfortunately, this has happened to me three times in my life. I was 15, 19, and 23, um, the three different times has happened, all with different men, but all with men that I knew, boys at, in some of those situations, and um, – I want to talk about one of those incidents um, in particular because I think it uh, unfortunately is very similar to what we heard from Dr. Ford, Um, and it was a situation where I was home my freshman year in college. Uh, It was Christmas break, all the high school friends, you know, mini reunion, uh, and I was out with one of my friends and um, didn't have my keys that night and – you know, ended up back at his house. His house was the party house. It was always the place that we pre-gamed. It was always the place that we hung out. And, you know, his brother at the time, who was a bit older, was having a party. So, you know, the reaction was, yeah, my brother's having a party. Just come over. You know, we'll wait until, you know, I think at the time I was waiting for my sister to get home so I could take a cab and meet her. And um, what started off as um, a consensual, let's call it a hookup, Quis- quickly escalated into something that was not consensual. I was very drunk at the time. I started to sober up as we were kissing, and in that sobering up process, I no longer wanted to be there. It was no longer a place that I felt safe, and I wanted it to end. Um, Which you have the full right yes, to the- do. Yep.
0: You can change your mind at any point, and not just you, Paula, but any for woman. any woman or any man can say at any point, this is not okay for me anymore.
4: Yeah, and I, and I say that because um, I believe that's true to be in a relationship, in mm-hmm. marriage. It does not matter who you are with, where you are with them. You are always allowed to stop. You are always allowed to take a beat and you're always allowed to remove yourself from the situation and I don't think that that is something that I was ever taught um, and that is something that I want the future generation to know and the current generation to know and the older generation to know. Um, And so what proceeded to happen was, you know, at the time I was wearing a dress and tights. And um, as I explained to both of you earlier, um, he was trying to have sex with me and he was, you know, partially naked and was so drunk. He did not realize I had tights on and um, he is a small individual. And so it wasn't a fear of me, Being able to like overpower him physically, it was a fear of was I going to be able to stop him? So I can't quite recall how many times I said no and pushed him off my body. I mean it must have been somewhere between five to ten times.
0: Oh my gosh. And it
4: was vocal and I was clear and I was sobering up and I will never forget that. And he stumbled into the bathroom after he fell off the bed the last time and – you know this is an individual who used to push us against the lockers in middle school and grope us, who used to come up to us and you know while we are dancing, consensual or not. This was the guy that would run around the parties making out with women. I mean it rang so similar to what I heard about Brett Kavanaugh and Mark Judge and his what clearly was a posse of inappropriate men who thought it was funny, who thought this was all a joke. I do genuinely believe that Brett Kavanaugh does not look back on his high school years thinking he did anything wrong. I truly believe he thinks that right. he was yeah. In the right. right. Yeah. And that's an issue because he learned that from somewhere. Right. And this isn't to excuse his behavior. This is to understand it because if we do not understand it, we won't change it. Right. Um, what proceeded to happen after this guy stumbled into the bathroom was, you know, I was in the bed. I, my eyes were closed. I was really just trying to figure out what just happened. Um I tend to have strong fight-or-flight instincts and so the ability to say no and push them away, I understand not every woman experiences that. Um, And I also want to make sure that people know that it's okay if you do not experience that because your body is going through shock and how you respond is not always in your control. You know, I've Mm -hmm. talked to a lot of my friends who freeze, talked to a lot of my friends who don't know how to say anything. Um, They explain it to and I'm sure we've all had this dream of trying to say something and nothing comes out. And unfortunately, that nightmare became a reality for them. So I was in the bed just trying to figure out what had happened. How was I going to get home? I still didn't have keys. There was no Ubers then. I had no cash on me. Um, my wallet had been stolen that night, which was like part of the reason I was in this whole mess. And um, this was also the dead winter in Chicago. <laughs> so I felt right. pretty trapped.
0: And, and you had previously – you thought you were with someone that
4: you trusted and felt comfortable with. This is a friend of mine that I had known since uh, – seventh grade when I started at this private school that I went to. Um so since I was twelve, I had known him for a long time. And so he left and all of a sudden somebody jumps on me in a very excited voice and goes, Paola, oh my God, hey and I was so frightened and I pushed this man away from me and I realized it was his older brother. And he looked down at me and saw the fright on my face and said, What did my brother do to you? And there was an acknowledgement of knowing that his Brother was, you know, always a belligerent drunk, and most of the time, you know, somewhat playful. And, but I think everybody knew that there was an ability for him to cross the line because he got drunk. This is a kid who thought it was funny to, you know, put out cigarettes on his arm while he was wasted because he couldn't feel it. You know, he got to that level of um, drinking, and so his brother gave me, you know, like a sweater and walked me to uh, a cab, called it for me, gave me twenty dollars. And assured me that he was going to talk to his brother the next day. And I know that he talked to his brother. I've had sober conversations with the older brother several times about this incident. Um, I also called my best friend at the time and my other good friend who was good friends with this boy who assaulted me and kind of got their feedback about the situation. And I got a kind of half ass apology um, the following summer, the summer between our freshman and sophomore year. When he was drunk. So um, months later. Months later. And the apology went along the lines of like, hey, sorry, I know that night was weird. And Weird? Weird. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was fucked up. Yeah. And I was so sorry. eager to <laughs> not make this a big deal. I mean, I think I was – the school that I went to was difficult in a lot of ways. It was a predominantly white high school. I was the other in a lot of different ways and – um was made fun of a lot for my name there was a lot of racism and I kind of went into a mode where when I arrived at that school I was Paola and by the time I was done with my first year there in seventh grade I was all of a sudden Paola there was a constant need to assimilate and Hmm. to not be the loudest and to not speak up and um, you know it happened again with another individual when I was 23 and it was a similar situation where it was consensual until it wasn't um, and after, you know, that individual tried to have sex with me and I didn't let him, he kicked me out of his house. Um, it also was horrible weather I think there's a pattern here in Chicago and, um, slammed the door on me. And this is an individual that I had had known since I was three years old. We went to grammar school together. And this is an individual that I helped get a job at my dad's law firm. Oh, and this man. is an individual that my father was mentoring. And the last thing he said to me was, don't tell your dad about this. Oh my God. Whoa. So those, it was terrible. And, um, so just bringing
0: you down. Was he white man? Was yes. He was white man?
4: All, all three were white men. It was like he had, ah.
0: he could not handle being told No, and that's in any circumstance. I find that way, then men have a really with hard time.
1: Consequences of that. So yeah. trying to
4: tell you, like, no, don't, I know it was weird, but don't tell anybody. So that situation um, that happened, unfortunately, on my birthday, and it was a couple months later when he sat on a on a similar organization that my sister sat on, um, and so we went to their like, gala or whatever, their annual fundraiser. And we went out that night with like his friends, and I was not drunk that night. I purposely stayed pretty sober, and I called him out in front of his friends. And it wasn't so much about the assault; it was how he treated me. Um, Makes so, you feel shame, yeah, I'm ashamed. Yeah. And so I, in front of all his friends, I told him what he had done, and they all were like, "Yo, like you owe her a fucking apology, dude." And he apologized, but I, looking back on it, it was how he treated me after I said no it wasn't him not hearing the several times I said no Um, again me trying to downplay the situation I think it was much easier to talk about a guy being an asshole to me than a guy assaulting me Uh Um, and after that I mean those those two instances really affected my dating life I didn't date for a very long time I didn't trust men for a very long time um, I was just talking to a girlfriend of mine from college and um, – I went to all, I went to Barnard College. I went to an all-women's college and we had a great apartment and um, we threw a lot of parties and I was always kind of steering those parties. I was always organizing those parties and I think looking back, I felt most safe when it was my turf. Um, and you were in control of them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and there wasn't that many bedrooms and all the bedroom doors were always open and it, it just never felt um, – I, I I just knew that I could speak out in those situations and I avoided the frats for a reason. Uh, speaking to the Brett Kavanaugh situation, um, my partner now, he did not know that uh, sororities aren't allowed to throw parties and this is something I was very well aware of. And the frats on campus, there was a frat known for roofing girls. There was a frat known for um, setting up video cameras and recording whatever happened in there. Um and keeping it as their personal porn stash. And, you know, so I think I maybe went to one or two Gross. frat parties my entire four years of college. And th- that, whether conscious or subconscious, was a decision I made. Um, I also decided not to date anyone really while I was in college because I did not trust men. And why would you after those experiences? And it was also the lack of me processing what happened. And I always prided myself on, you know, I was the 14 year old who put myself in therapy because my sister went to college. And I thought that that was like the mature thing to do and loved talking about my feelings and was super open about who I was and analyzed myself and my surroundings. And was very in tune. And, um, you know, if someone like me could not speak up about it, I don't. Know what it's like for someone who is a little bit more of an introvert, who doesn't kn- know how to speak about themselves or like to speak about themselves, um, or doesn't have a supportive family, or, yeah, you know, or doesn't have the education, or, or, or and I had all those those elements. I had all those things, and I still never talked about it. You know, I had the type of mother that said, "If you need an abortion, you tell me, and we'll go get one." You know, I don't think a lot of girls had that experience. I had the mother who said, "You bring the boys to this house in case anything happens to you. You scream." Um, and even with knowing all that, I didn't do that. I didn't bring boys home, um, as I'm kind of going out of order here. The first sexual assault that happened to me was when I was 15 and I was at a friend's house and there was just a couple of us hanging out and this guy waited till everyone left the room and, you know, we were like in sweats and sports bras. I mean, there was nothing sexy about the situation. There was nothing inappropriate about the situation and he pinned me down and he just tried to do stuff to me and i screamed and the only reason why it stopped was because my best friend was one floor above and she came down and said what the fuck is happening get off her and she kicked him out go best friend go best friend um that was the same best friend that i called after the second assault um and actually after the third and that's a rock someone who i've talked to a lot about this situation and whether i should confront let's call boy number two when I was 19, you know, and she gave me some honest feedback. She said, what do you want to get out of talking to him? And she's like, you know how he can get. And are you prepared for him to be dismissive, to be nasty, to try to flip the script and be honest with yourself about that? Because if you think that's going to do more harm than good, then don't do it. But if this is something you need to do and you don't care what he says, and this is about you, then do it. Um, that's great advice. And I really yeah. appreciated that yeah. advice. And, um, is she a therapist? Because
0: that sounds like something <laughs> my therapist would say.
4: <laughs> um, and I'm still debating on whether, how, I, I think I want to talk to him. I just don't know how. And that's why I've decided not to name him tonight. Um, mm-hmm. because I want to leave that door open and I want to leave that conversation open. And I hope this is something I can share with him that, you know, we are not sitting here as women saying that because you've done these things, you are just a bad person. I don't believe anyone's just bad. I think that, you know, it was a cultural upbringing and I think it was a privilege that he experienced his whole life that he didn't realize he was experiencing maybe all the time. And, um, I want to say people are, people can change and that change isn't going to come without really confronting the ugly truths of some of the things that you've done in your past. And, Um, not everyone can, and maybe I'm being way too hopeful over here, but, um, I like to believe that there's an option. And again, that's what I want from my situation and the person who assaulted me. And I totally respect that not everybody wants that. Um, he's also not in a position of power. I mean, he has, I'm sure some power, but we're still in our twenties and he's not running for any political office, you know, and, um, He's not some huge movie exec who's abusing women on the regular. So it doesn't feel um, as scary as Brett Kavanaugh. But one of my reactions to last week was we need our receipts. (laughs) We need to be talking about it, even if it's just confiding in our therapist, even if it is just confiding in a journal. Um, And hopefully it's more if you can. But I think step one of what we saw last week is there needs to be a a circle of people around us that we tell and, and a support. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that can support us um, through that process. And also, as he started the show off, to make this all less taboo. Exactly. Um, I was really ashamed. And it came out in a class while we were talking about the Nate Parker and Casey Affleck incident. And I felt very attacked because, similar to the Anita Hill trials, people were claiming that Nate Parker's um, – The way people were coming at him was solely due to the fact that he was a black man and we weren't talking about the fact that the woman who I believe he gang raped had killed herself uh, about 10 years ago and had left in her suicide note that part of the reason she did it was because of him. And it was in that class that I opened up to my class about it. Um, It was after that class that I called my mother for the first time and told her. And again, as I've expressed to both of you guys – while she was incredibly supportive and loving, it was a very sad her reaction to me was um, she wasn 't shocked um, She is a professor and i think has had not i think i know has had a lot of her students confide in her. you know I was raised close to a university in Chicago, and um, the biggest crime in our neighborhood was you know either robberies or sexual assault and I was someone who developed very young I got my period when I was eleven and So by the time I was 12, I looked like I was 16 or 17 years old and was treated as such. And she was really clear with me and my sister. My sister was the same way. Um, I knew about rape. I knew how rape could happen anywhere. Rape could happen since I was about 11. Um, And even in that situation, I didn't talk to her about it earlier. Uh, And I'm happy I did. And I'm sad that my story is um, the norm. (laughs) And then I went home and told my partner, and I had told him from, you know, it had been a big part of our relationship that he was the first man that I felt comfortable with. He was the first man that made me feel safe sexually. He was the first man that I really trusted. And it didn't resonate to him until he heard what had happened to me. And that's tough. And, um, but important for people to, if they can and if they want to, know that it's okay. Um, and I think very healthy to talk about these things with their significant others. Um, We share a lot with them, and we share a lot of experiences with them. And um, so I feel very grateful that I have that support system. I feel very grateful uh, that I'm in a place where I feel uh, empowered by what I'm doing right now, and I hope that uh, more women do. And in part, I spoke out, and I want to say this because I really admired her, um, one of my upstairs neighbors, who was a good friend from middle school and high school um was raped last year in our house, and she spoke up last week um and it was something I know she's been thinking about for a long time, and I think it was definitely in reaction to Brett Kavanaugh and me and her she is the person I was texting before I sat in this booth and um you know it was so ugly and she was so brave, and I wanted to be brave too. And um, this shit is ugly, <laughs> and this shit is uncomfortable. But I just don't think we're going to grow um, unless we talk about it.
0: So yeah, thanks for sharing. Paola. Thank you, Paola. Yeah, thanks. You are so strong for sharing, and thank you
4: for your honesty. And
1: reliving, you're reliving it. Yeah, right now.
4: It's been cathartic, though I will say. Um, you know, I was very. It sounds weird to say I was excited about this yesterday, and then it kind of hit me that I was nervous, and I think my excitement was kind of being like, "Yeah, we're going to talk about Brett Kavanaugh. And I'm going to have a place to talk about it and we're gonna get it out." And it was like, "Oh wait, we're also talking about my we're talking story, about my very personal story." Yeah. And um, I was very nervous today, and I tend to be very stoic i'm serious when i'm nervous and that's definitely i'm sure how this interview came off in the beginning um so it's it's a serious process (laughs)
0: stoic topic it is absolutely so thank you again yeah for sharing thanks for having me to talk about that absolutely oh my god so you know i think you talked about the culture of men especially white men this is they're not used to being told no and how to deal with that and then it's there's the culture of survivors not feeling like they can speak out or that it's shameful to speak out or yeah. whatever it may be so how do we change this culture what do we do moving forward how can we
1: how can we be prepared and and, and, and uh, uh, sorry as a part of the change to to move forward I do want to say before we get into that is I think that you telling this story and watching being a witness to the Ford Kavanaugh testimonies, when you hear as a victim myself as well when you hear another woman tell their story you relive your own at the same time and there were moments in, when I heard your story where I had flashbacks to my own and got lost into that and came back into yours. And it, it's – and I feel like that's how all – every woman is feeling right now that has become a victim. Yes. That the the, the amount of – of – I. Have, it's like even hard to say the realities, the fears, and the sacrifices that come with going public. And there's so many other verbs and ways that you can ex- that can attach to to everything that comes with the catharticness of it, the the healing that's part of it, and men. Don't understand, and to watch, you, not just men, even some, maybe even women too. I'm not sure, but to watch the Senate, or, like just sit there and listen to her story, and like and like Anita Hill, and just kind of spit on it, to spit on it, and just take away that it's just, it's heartbreaking.
4: I think that we are living in a moment. It's not. We're living in a moment. We are in a world that does not value women's voices and does not value women's stories. And the level of sexism that I also think contributed to Trump's uh, nomination is so clear. Mm -hmm. And to have that play out on a national scale is disheartening and is um, painful. And... You know, I think that having spaces to your response of what do we do, having spaces like this, having – I mean, hell, having a country that we can have free – we have free speech. Yes. And that is something that – Exactly. You know, I can sit here and criticize the United States until, you know, forever. But um, I do also want to acknowledge the freedoms that we have uh, that not every country has Um, and the level of discrimination varies um, across the world. And um, I think that we are in a moment of change. I am mm-hmm. strangely more hopeful than I have been. Um, and we got to find a way to survive because there is a good chance that he could be our next Supreme Court justice. Exactly. And so – There is. There's a real chance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Upsetting. But we got to talk about this. Uh, we have to – share our stories and we have to educate the next generation, the current generation, the future generation, what is consent what does consent look like Um, one story I do have is I've been babysitting a girl since she was three she is now 14 and um, I asked her last year what sex ed looked like at her school and she said oh you know we had it once in fifth grade and it was super weird and I was like okay well what did consent look like and – or what, how did they talk about it? And she said, well, they told us that um, if a boy wants to hold our hands, they have to ask us. And I said, OK, uh, what about if you want to hold a boy's hand? And she said, well, we didn't talk about that. And I said, OK, what did they talk about? You know, if nobody asks, are there other indicators um, to figuring out if someone wants their hand to be held or not? No, we didn't talk about that. You know, and it was – This is a girl who goes to one of the most elite private schools in the world and they're not talking about consent. and They don't know how to talk about consent. They don't know how to talk about consent and they don't know how to even start that conversation. Um, And so that has got to change. I do not think we are going to see a change unless that changes. And I feel very strongly about that. But Mm -hmm. I also feel that that is something that we have some control over. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: We just got to do it.
1: Yeah, exactly. We have to do it. That's where nonprofit organizations come in and creating and coming together. Creating curriculum, creating lessons. Yep. Yourself.
4: Yeah. We have to assist our schools. They're rapidly being defunded. Plugged to my documentary. So (laughs) um, these after-school programs and these nonprofits and these community-based organizations are – more important than ever, you know, I think for me, my focus has always been the disappearance of the arts. But the reality is there is no sex, edu- sex education. I mean, we still teach abstinence in this country. Um, that is a very real issue that we have, yeah. um, let alone what does consent look like? Um, so I think there's got to be some major restructuring. But I think that is a challenge that feels um, achievable. I think so too. I think
1: yeah.
4: I
0: think it's gonna take time. It's gonna take a lot of time, but I, I think it's achievable. And I think that we need to educate our parents too and adults that have influence on our young people's lives and the next future, mm-hmm. the next the future generations. So maybe that's a little bit of our words of encouragement. It's a heavy one today. But sure is. <laughs> but but that's action that's doable. And do we have a dear men? I do have dear I, I guess.
1: You, okay.
0: <laughs> you speak for speak for me too. To dear
1: men. Start to question if you haven't already, how you view, treat and think about women. Culture and society and even religion has wired us, especially men, to demean, disrespect, and sexualize women. The answer and solution starts with yourself. Bravo, my uni. And I also sure. have a word of encouragement. Yes. Sure. For women and anyone who has been a victim of sexual assault, know that you are not alone. Reach out to someone that you know and you trust. And if you don't, there are resources out there. And if you feel like you are listening to this podcast and you yourself are a victim and don't feel like you have anyone, you can reach out to us. We're here for you. Yeah. And we'll help you get to those
0: resources and we'll list a bunch of them in the notes Mm -hmm. as well. So with that, Thank you for listening, Paula. Thank you again thank for, you for sharing. sharing. Thank you for, for having being me. Here.
1: This has been a really deep episode and heavy episode. And thank you for taking the time to listen and listening to the entire episode as well.
0: <laughs> so check in on each other. Check in on the people around you, the people that you love. Give them an extra big squeeze and make sure you're doing okay. They're doing okay because... A crazy time right now. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much, everyone. We love you.
1: Thank
4: you.
0: We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.